Well, we'll find out. Rachel Dory joining us now from Staff and Graph Podcast. There's so much going on today. I feel like we could do the entire hour, but let's just do a few questions. Uh, let's start with Corey Perry. What does he bring to the Oilers, and do you see him filling a role well enough to be a regular? Yeah, well, first of all, I like the Ramones uh, little intro there. That's that's my kind of music, so I'm I'm all on board with the pop punk today. Um, I like I like the addition of Corey Perry for Edmonton. I'm not sure about the timing though, because I think any time that you've won uh, an NHL record amount of games in a row, you probably shouldn't touch your dressing room for any reason other than an injury. And so I think upsetting the apple cart is maybe not the best idea time-wise. I do think he's a fit, though. I think when you look at Corey Perry, obviously he's not going to play the role that he was playing in Chicago because, quite frankly, Edmonton has much better hockey players than they do uh, in the Midwest. And so he'll probably be that third, fourth-line guy. He doesn't have a ton of offense left, but he's not a liability defensively. He's actually, his numbers in my model are are quite good defensively and and better than most of the Oilers' bottom six. So I think he will be a bit of a boost there. Obviously, he brings that agitator element to it. And so when you look at it, he's going to bring a bit of a dynamic. I'm assuming he's going to get a shot on the second power play unit. Um, I don't mind the addition. I just wonder if it was the right time for the Oilers. Yeah, and that's fair. And if they do lose against Columbus, you can sure (laughs) bet that somebody will write that story. I wonder about, just from the point of view of boots, the foot speed among the wingers, Yanmark, Ryan, Gagne, Connor Brown can skate pretty well, but there's, there's not a lot of burners there. Does it, does it worry you that there's, there's a lot of slow boots there on the third and fourth line potentially? It does. And that's why I think, skaters like James Hamblin or Dylan Holloway are, are going to be important. And yes, they're, they're young players, but at the end of the day, you need guys that can really skate with the puck. I mean, a great example we saw over the weekend was Toronto and Vancouver. Toronto star players played well in that game, but the depth, I mean, Vancouver's third and fourth lines outskated, outworked, outbattled, outplayed the Leafs bottom six. And it's because they don't have speed. They don't have, they just have an imbalanced lineup. And so when I look at Edmonton, that does worry me a little bit because I think they're more similar to Toronto in that sense and that there isn't a whole lot of speed in that bottom six. There isn't a whole lot of balance in the lineup. And so I think Corey Perry obviously um, doesn't contribute to the speed on the positive end of the spectrum, but I do think defensively he's, he's still, he's really smart, savvy with the puck. He's going to be a veteran sort of voice, um, and maybe that allows you to buy some time. If Dylan Holloway or James Hamblin have a bad game or two, you can insulate them a little bit more. Uh, Rachel Dory, our guest from Staff and Graph Podcast. I want, I, I'm so interested in your answer to this question because I get a lot of texts saying, play Evander Kane more, and then a lot of texts saying, you know, the underlying numbers show he and, say, Connor Brown together are not good at in terms of possession, in terms of outscoring. And there's always that need for leadership or toughness, and Perry is a little bit associated with that. So Rob Vollman always told me that if they're tough and they're leaders and all of those things, it'll have value and it'll show up in the numbers. So how much of what Perry does shows up in the numbers that you like? And Evander Kane I'll throw in as well. Yeah, I I mean, first of all, I have so much respect for Rob Vollman and the work that he does. Like He's one of the original pioneers of hockey analytics, and I – definitely uh, subscribe to that belief as well. There's 
very little that doesn't show up in the numbers and in any way, shape or form. And I think with Corey Perry, I kind of, like, he's obviously not the player that he once was, but when you do look at the numbers, the past three or four seasons, yes, his production has dipped, but he was a half a point a game two years ago. Um, and he can still contribute offensively. And he was playing on Tampa Bay who, I mean, let's face it, like that, that's a really good hockey team. And then, Obviously, in Chicago, he had, I believe, nine points in 16 games. Like, that's nothing to shake your head at. But what's interesting to me is that defensively, Corey Perry is actually above the line. Like, he's not a replacement-level player. He's still a positive contributor from a possession perspective, from a a defensive perspective. He's not as good offensively anymore, especially now that he's not really going to get the offensive opportunities in Edmonton. But where Corey Perry is concerned, those numbers show up. Like his leadership, his one puck battles, his loose puck recoveries, his uh, defensive numbers, like those are all positive. And so when you want to talk about intangibles, like, oh, he wins the battles or he's good on pucks or he's in the right spots, that stuff shows up because that's tangible and we can now track that with the tracking data that we have. Whereas when Evander Kane and Connor Brown are on the ice, you are not seeing that same level of defensive impact and you're seeing almost no offensive impact. I know that Kane has the big contract and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I would be more uh, ready and more willing to give Corey Perry an offensive opportunity before I gave Evander Kane one, because at least I know if Corey Perry's not, going to contribute offensively he's not going to be a liability defensively or he hasn't shown to be that whereas Kane has is that sort of what the Oilers thought they were getting with Connor Brown like a guy who could score but also an intelligent two-way guy I believe that's what they thought they were getting I think there's also the whole line mate thing in junior hockey with Connor McDavid and I think there's the fact that he has scored at the NHL level in the same way that Kane has or Corey Perry has like he he's shown he's capable of scoring but I mean it just hasn't worked and I wonder if injuries are a part of that I mean when you play the way Connor Brown does and um, you rely on on some of the the things that he does to be successful injuries can really hamper that and so I think we're kind of at a point now where it's a it's a crossroads for Connor Brown and his career whereas with Corey Perry he's kind of found a way to reinvent himself right he's not that rocket richard scorer anymore but he's found a way to provide value in other facets and i think connor brown needs to find a way to do that maybe having somebody like Corey perry around who has reinvented himself over the past five or so seasons um can help connor brown do that because if connor brown can do that i think he can be a valuable bottom six piece for the oilers rachel doy our guest staff and graph podcast on sports 1440 let's change gears and talk about patrick waugh for me, he's good. He's good for the league because he's outrageous and outspoken. But he also has had success as a coach, and I I feel like Lou sort of thought, well, this is a this is a card I can deal maybe from the bottom of the deck, but it's unusual. They need help with the Islanders. Is this a genius move or an act of desperation, or maybe both? I like the move. Um, I think a lot of people who maybe hadn't paid attention to what Patrick Waugh's done since. He left Colorado, obviously, in a heap and kind of a disaster. I think a lot of people think that this is maybe a weird hire or not a great hire. But, I mean, having worked in the league the past little while and, and followed Patrick Waugh, specifically the Quebec Rempart and the work that he's done there, I think he's really evolved as a coach. He's somebody, uh, when it comes to motivation, 
I haven't been around somebody other than Bruce Boudreaux that is able to get players to play for him other than those two. Like their ability to get guys to buy in and run through walls for them is second to none in hockey. And so I think right away there, you're going to have um, a a nice fit there because the players, he's likely going to let Matthew Barzell and some of the offensive players have a little more freedom. And so I think we'll finally get to see a Matthew Barzell that doesn't have to play for a Barry Trotz or a Lane Lambert kind of get to do his thing. And I, I'm excited to see that. Um, but Patrick was also evolved as a coach. He is very underrated when it comes to tactics. I think he's one of the more underrated and it's probably an under discussed topic. in the fact that he is a really bright hockey mind when it comes to how he thinks the game. And it sort of makes sense. I mean, he watched the game from the crease for his whole career. He's seen almost everything there is to see. And so I think he has some fresh perspectives and he is the absolute king, especially in junior hockey, the absolute king of getting the team to perform above the sum of its parts. And that's what the Islanders need. They don't have superstars like a McDavid, like a Dreisaitl, like a Matthews. They have a collection of good players. And Patrick Waugh had that in Quebec. And he was able to get them to play and be more valuable than the sum of their parts. And I think that's exactly what the Islanders need. So I actually really like the fit for him there. And of course, I mean, John Tortorella, Peter Laviolette, and Patrick Waugh in the same division. I'll take that every day of the week. I hope we get a Philly Islanders playoff series. It's going to be, and they're not terrible. They got 51 points in 46 games. And Lou is the king of, of uh, coaching changes that work out. So it'll be interesting. Wanted to ask you about the Toronto Maple Leafs and we saw them out here and they looked not great against Vancouver and Edmonton. And then they won a couple of games, you know, elsewhere, but they're, you know, they have 54 points in 45 games, and I thought they were home and dry in their division, but really they're not. Detroit is just one point behind. Leafs have a game in hand. There's Tampa Bay, even even Montreal and Buffalo, I guess, if you want to say, you know, well, I guess Montreal and Buffalo are a little ways away. But are you, like, how long, if you are management in Toronto, can you wait to make a move and address what I think is the big issue, which is which is defense? So I am, I might be on an island with this way of thinking, but uh, I subscribe to the fact that the Leafs shouldn't be all in this year. I think that you're, well, you're not re-signing Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, you're probably not re-signing TJ Brody. And you are very clearly not a cup contender this year. I think that much has been made very obvious, whether it be the goaltending um, without Joseph Wall, and we don't know how he can stand up after an injury. We have seen that blue line BMS. I actually think that this is a situation where you look to kind of do one of those quick reboots and you try and get assets for Bertuzzi and Brody at the deadline because teams that are true contenders, the Colorados, perhaps the Edmontons, uh, the Bostons, they're going to want players like that. And I think that's an opportunity where you know you have some huge salaries coming up in the future and you're going to need first round picks to get players so that they can be in your lineup on cheap contracts. And I just, I don't think the Leafs are very good this year, like certainly not good enough to win a Stanley cup. And so I don't think going all in is, is what they should be doing. In fact, I think it's probably a little bit the opposite and do a little bit of what the Dallas stars did a few years ago and maybe sell off a few things and and reboot quickly so that they can really be contenders throughout the, the Matthews contract that, that is kind of coming up here. I think that's probably the best solution because I'm not sure that there's any move you're going to be able to make if you're Brad Tree Living that's going to get you what you really need to be able to take on 
the Boston to even get out of your division at this point. That's interesting because if they were, if they did offload, they could get some things for some of those UFAs and even, you know, like a, a guy like Noah Gregor doesn't cost a lot. He's an RFA, but that's a guy. There are players on that roster. If they decided to offload, they could get good value for fair. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you look at it, Tyler Bertuzzi is exactly the kind of guy you want in the playoffs, right? He's pesky. He's annoying. Yes, he's not scoring here, but he brings other stuff and he's your perfect playoff player. TJ Brody in a second pairing role would be excellent for a contender. Like if he's playing below Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy in Boston, I think he's in a much better spot than if he has to play on the top pair in Toronto. If he's playing with Evan Bouchard in Edmonton, that's probably a much better spot for him even both like for a Matias Ekholm for that matter. I think when you look at it, top four defensemen and gritty forwards are incredibly value at the, valued at the deadline. And that's exactly what teams, frankly, overpay for every single year. And so if I'm the Leafs, I'm looking at this and going, we're clearly not good enough. We need to be uh, self-aware and try and recoup some assets because we know we're not going to be able to have the money to re-sign some of these guys. So if we're not contending, we might as well get assets for them. I, a final one. I'm trolling my friend Declan here, who is a Bills fan. I loved your tweet about needing to discuss the fact that Patrick Mahomes going to the AFC Championship with that collection of wide receivers. I I still can't believe, I, I know why they won, and I know why Buffalo lost, but, you know, Mahomes, I'm not saying he's having his best season ever, but he's working with, with basically mirrors here. Yeah, I mean, that was Buffalo's game last night. When you think about it, they had three fumbles go their way. They had a touchback. Every single thing went their way except the kick. And the reality of the situation is, is if you look at the two plays before Tyler Bass missed the kick, Josh Allen has two opportunities to check down to his receivers to just get a first down. And he decided to play hero ball. And I know he had a great game, but that is on him. And that's the difference, I think, between him and Patrick Mahomes. Because, I mean, neither receiving core is great, but Patrick Mahomes had a receiver last night with a stat line of one reception, two fumbles, a touchback, and negative one rushing yards. And that was his (laughs) third option as a receiver. Like, how you get to the AFC Championship when you're being sabotaged by Kadarius Toney and McCole Hardman is utterly shocking to me and so I feel bad for Buffalo Bills fans but I think that Josh Allen tried to be tried to play a little hero ball at the end there and it it kind of bit him love it thank you appreciate it Rachel